Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Keep Lefty, program at Victorian Labor College. In the studio is John Lafferty. Morning, everybody. And myself, Chris Gaffney. And uh, we'll be talking until 10.30, and at 10.30 will be your chance to ring up and have your say on any topic at all. So get ready for that at 10.30. And, John, you're going to talk <laughs> about... Uh, uh, 7-11. 7-11. Yeah, I was going to speak a little bit about the 7-11 wages rip-off. The 7-11 convenience store chain this week scrambled to cover up a deliberate policy of underpayment of wages to its workers. The CEO, Warren Wilmot, and the general manager, Natalie Dalbo, have resigned from 7-11's board. But more importantly, the chairman, Russ Withers, this guy's the archetypal capitalist, if you've ever seen a picture of him, he controls a business empire worth $1.5 billion, and he's resigned from the board in a move designed to deflect attention away from his role in the scandal. 7-Eleven originally appointed Alan Felves to be a supposed independent investigator into the company's crooked practices some weeks ago. Fells is well known as the former chairman of the ACCC, the ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. His job is often to set up investigations into industries well known for exploitative practices, but very often in the end to whitewash those industries. Yet even Fells has said that 7-Eleven's business model can only work if a certain number of franchises deliberately underpay their workers. <laughs> this week, 7-Eleven's bosses have further passed the buck onto another guy who they claim he was going to fix the problem. This guy's name is Michael Smith. Smith has revealed that there are indeed, quote, a very large number of young and foreign workers who were not paid properly. Well, of course there were. Certain industries are well known for exploiting the most vulnerable sections of the working class. This is very often the young and the non-English-speaking migrants. The taxi and security industries are another two which profit greatly at the expense of un- unskilled young and foreign workers. And 7-Eleven stores are right up there with them, and they have been for years. It's amazing, isn't it, that the uh, shop employees... Union controlled mm. by the right wing. They didn't see it. They never spotted no. it in all those years. No, no, they this. never raised, never raised a peep, and got a, they probably didn't know. Yeah, they probably didn't know. They probably didn't know it was quite as widespread. Just have a walk into any Seven Eleven, and you'll see the kind of the people that are walking there. Well, and they're young. Just in case you don't get out, only <laughs> of course they knew. They must yeah. have known, and they did nothing. Alan Fells was actually set up a few years ago by the Victorian Liberal government to independently investigate the taxi industry. It does seem strange that... um, Can't read my own writing here, sir. It does mean strange that these investigations, that um, ongoing investigation into alleged union corruption is ordered by a federal Liberal government and carried out by an actual member of the Liberal Party, Dyson Hayden. Yet when it comes to investigating business corruption, an internal inquiry... But yet another Liberal Party member, Alan Fells, is seen as being in- appropriate. I mean, they're pretty much investigating their own people here. Well, that's right. Is, that's, it's, so, I mean, it's so they understand the problems that the uh, employees' class have. Well, the thing is that these guys have broken the law, you see. 
You would think, that the, who are the people that are supposed to uphold the law? Isn't it the police? Isn't it the courts? Well, you, think, you would think so. You'd you think, think so. that they might have some interest in this and might be able to do something about it. Now, Fells has been painted as being a critic of 7-Eleven's business model, and it would be hard for any decent person not to be. However, he has pointed the finger not at the hierarchy, but at the franchisees who run the individual 7-Eleven stores. The 7-Eleven hierarchy, of course, they've gone along with this. It's all sheer hypocrisy. The billionaire chairman, Russ Withers, knows the kind of business he's been in charge of these past few years. High prices and low wages at all hours of the day is the model, and it has been for decades. A little bit of history of 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven is an American company founded in Texas in 1927. It had an estimated revenue in 2009, this is worldwide, of $84.8 billion. Yeah, it's not bad, is it? It first came to Australia in 1977 when it opened its doors in the Melbourne suburb of Oakley. In 2010, it got a major boost when it bought out all the mobile petrol stations in Australia, in case you were wondering what happened to mobile. Right. This led to a major expansion of the brand in this country, where it now has 620 stores. From the very outset, 7-Eleven has had the policy of offering the customer the convenience of being open at all hours for the inconvenience of being charged close to double the price for basic food items, mostly junk food such as chocolate and chips. We now know that this policy also involves paying very low wages to its workers. Many of these workers are unaware of their rights at work, and some of them are not officially allowed to work in the country anyway. At least half of the 620 stores have underpaid their staff. At least half. Yes, yes, yes. 620 stores. And that's not the odd case. That's clearly a part of the overall plan. And yet, this new guy who's been brought in by 7-Eleven to supposedly fix the problem, Michael Smith, he could make this comment. You've you, you got to follow this logic here. Yes. Michael Smith, he's a new guy. Quote, It turned out that we were aware that we had an element of franchises who weren't paying properly and we saw it as being inappropriate and inconsistent with what we told them. Smith also spoke strangely of, quote, a kind of petri dish and a bit of a boiling frog, with the company not being aware of the problem. All smoke and mirrors to cover up what he knows to be true. This is this is sheer gobbledygook from, this, this is, is, from the new guy, you know. Withers, he's nicked off. But for his part, Withers claims, quote, We've been blindsided. I was not aware it was as significant as it appears in the evidence. Lies. I was not Lies. aware it was as significant as it appears in well, the why evidence. why are you managing directors of places? Yeah. You don't know what's going on. <laughs> the, the, the old, I knew nothing. Like Rupert right, Rup- yeah. Murdoch a I couple of years back. Yeah. Sudden of Sheldon Oh, Schultz. really? Yeah. I know yeah. nothing. <laughs> the Sergeant Schultz yeah. uh, response. But if you read between the lines, I was not aware it was as significant as it appears in the evidence. If you read between the lines, we can see that he's not actually denying that he knew these things were going on. He just he pre- didn't think we cared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, well, he certainly didn't. He just pretends that he didn't know the extent of them. If you actually read what he says, you know, I wasn't aware it was as significant as it appears in the evidence. Well, now... He's just a liar, that's all. He's a crook. Mm. These guys are crook. These guys have deliberately underpaid wages. They've deliberately broken the law, it would appear obvious. That's what the evidence yes, is telling yes, us. This yes. is why he's nicking off with his And mates. the uh, relevant DLP right-wing Catholic Union knew mm. nothing about it. The SDA. And nor did the rest of the... Yeah, uh, the blindsided, though, well. Yeah, little yes, bit of a blind yes, spot. 
I mean, more than half the stores were underpaying the workers. This is more than 310 stores. Mm-hmm. Of course, mm-hmm. then, yeah. Any decent society would have at least one of these crooks, Smith or Withers, probably both up on serious charges. 7-Eleven's massive profits have been made in the back of vulnerable foreign workers, many of whom are too scared to protest and be in fear of being deported. 7-Eleven aren't the first to do this, and they won't be the last. Many is the company which has exploited cheap migrant labour in preference to organised and educated local labour. Back in the 1930s, I don't know if you've ever read uh, John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath. Oh, 100 years ago, yeah. Did you? Yeah. Well, you'd you'd remember. I was nearly 100 years ago for me, too. But the hungry Midwest victims of the American Depression went to California seeking a better life. They were driven off the land. They were brutally exploited in the fruit-picking industry, being played off one against the other as the bosses forced wages down further and further. In recent times in this country, in Australia, fruit-pickers have similarly been exploited. Unskilled and foreign-language migrants are traditionally fodder for the lowest-paid jobs. There's nothing new about this. No, no, of course not. And these bosses not. When an economy is based around the notion of profit-making, of course such things will continue to happen. The only thing the 7-Eleven bosses are really concerned about is that they've been exposed. They now must go into damage control to limit the cost to their brand, to their image, and to their bank balances, the most important thing in their eyes. They clearly have little, if any, concern whatsoever for their employees. That's just how these capitalists operate. And uh, I know it's radio, but uh, it'd be wonderful if we could see this fellow, this Russ Withers, because he's the archetypal capitalist pig. Well, if you, if you, <laughs> if you get a look at a photo of him, he's, he's, a, he's unfortunate looking. I mean, unfortunate looking, I don't mean in the sense that he's conventionally ugly. He's just got that capitalist face. He's got the beady eyes. The he's got the jowls, the double chair. I'm not right. having to go at anyone's expensive suit. But yeah, the expensive, <laughs> he's got the suit. He's got the beautiful suit and the beautiful tie. Yeah, yeah they always yeah. have these lovely ties. I do. I get jealous of this. Yeah, but he's got greed. Minor op shop ones. Greed written all. You don't wear one. But he's got <laughs> greed, greed written all over oh, his course, face. This guy. But he's denying it. He's oh, denying it. He was blindsided. Yes, poor man. Poor man. Well, uh, let me deal with um, with one of our our allies. Yes. In the Middle East, and that's of course Saudi Arabia. Oh, King, now, whether you King like, Salman, King Salman, and whether you like them or not, they are our our major allies. Just as, uh, after America, of course. And you may have read in the last week there was a stampede of Muslim pilgrims near Mecca, where they now estimate the number of deaths from this supposedly you know, churchy, worshipy sort of environment. Fifteen hundred people are dead. Uh, and it's the worst, the worst disaster at the site in recorded history. The I thought it was seven hundred. That's right. But the, uh, the head of the Iran's Hajar and Pilgrimage Organization said the number of deaths is expected to climb to fifteen hundred. Is that true that there was some involvement of the Osama bin Laden family? The, 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 they were involved with some construction company or something. I, I, in this? I, I've seen no evidence of that. I've heard this. This is the worst disaster at the site in recorded history. The Saudi monarch's uh, reaction to this was, of course, to blame the pilgrims mm. for the uh, for allegedly not respecting the timetables. Uh, the head of the health, the head of the uh, health uh, in the government, in mm. the government, the government minister for health, went further, blaming the stampede on some pilgrims with African nationalities. Really? So, in other words, obviously appealing to anti-foreign and racist <laughs> sentiments. <laughs> The Lebanese Daily reported last Thursday that the stampede was triggered by the arrival on the scene of a large militarised convoy 
transporting the 30-year-old Deputy Crown Prince, who's also the Defence Minister. The large convoy of Mohammed bin Salman al-Saud, the King's son and Deputy Crown Prince, was escorted by 350 security forces, including 200 army men and 150 coppers. They sped up the road to go through the pilgrims that were moving towards the site of the Stoning the Devil ritual, causing panic amongst the uh, millions of pilgrims who were moving in the opposite direction. Mm. Uh, Thursday, Thursday's disaster, which follows close on the heel of another 107 deaths when a, a crane fell at the Grand Mosque, is politically damaging to the monarchy. Yes, it was the crane that was owned by Osama bin Laden's right. family. Hmm. In- indeed, on the eve of the latest disaster, disaster, a letter, a letter written uh, by an unnamed grandson of King Abdulaziz Il Saud, the founder of Saudi it's easy for you to say. Yeah, it is. It, it is, isn't it? <laughs> Calling, called on the royal family to convene an emergency meeting for the purpose of deposing the king and his key supporters. This is unheard of. Oh. It points to the country's growing economic crisis, fueled by the collapse in oil prices, which in turn has been driven in large measure by the monarchy's decision to continue full production with yeah. the aim of inflicting damage on Iran and Russia. Yes. The result has been a sharp decline in revenues, threatening to raise the budget's deficit as much as 20% of GDP. If the monarchy is forced to implement austerity measures... Mm-hmm cutting back on social spending, it may trigger an explosive revolt in a country where 40% of the people live in poverty and 40% of young workers between the age of 20 to 24 are unemployed. Mm. The letter concludes by asking the House of Saud to isolate the King Solomon, the extravagant, and the vain, this is his words, the vain crane prince Mohammed bin Naraf, and the rotten thief, Deputy Crown Priest Mohammed bin Salman. As Defence Minister, of course, the Deputy Crown Prince is no stranger to mass killings. He's been the monarchy's point man in his six-month Saudi-led war against Yemen, which has pitted uh, this huge army of the Saudi Arabians, Mm. paid for by the Americans, and to wage war against people of one of the poorest countries in the world. Mm. Saudi warplanes, supplied and armed and refuelled in mid-air by the Pentagon, have carried out non-stop bombings that have killed thousands of civilians while destroying schools, hospitals, factories, residential neighbourhoods and World Heritage sites. More than one and a half million people have been driven from their home and at least 80% of the country's population, that's 21 million people, have been left in desperate need of humanitarian aid. These are our friends. The war is part of a more bellicose foreign policy pursued by the Saudi monarchy since the succession of King Salman at the beginning of this year. Uh, This does not only include attacks on the Houthi rebels in Yemen, but also Syria, where Saudi money and arms have been key to the war for regime chains fought by al-Qaeda, along with US backing and collaboration. War, War abroad has been combined with intensification of hideous repression at home. The Saudi, now, remember, we, we get awfully upset at what the IS, the uh, Islamic State people do and how they carry on, but the Saudi or re- regime is already on track to double the number mm-hmm. of executions yes, compared right. to last year. According to Amnesty, the regime put to death, either by heading or firing squads, 175 people over the last 12 months. This is more than triple the number of state killings 
cowing out by the US, which is not too bad at doing it, which has 10 times the population of the Saudi regime. Well, the Saudis, they uh, beheaded five Yemeni citizens the other day and they put them on public display between two crowns. Yes, very nice. They're big on crowns. In the face of international outrage, the despotic monarchy is preparing to execute Mm. Ali al-Nima, who was arrested as a 17-year-old high school uh, student for taking part in a 2011 protest. He's sentenced to death by beheading with his headless headless corpse to be then publicly crucified. Like most sentenced to die, he was convicted in a drumhead trial based on confession, got through torture. Incredibly, and this is just unbelievable, Saudi Arabia has recently been selected to chair a UN human rights panel. Mm. Oh my, what? A State Department spokesman said, welcome this move because Saudi Arabia is a close ally. That Saudi Arabia is Washington's closest ally in the Arab war is the clearest exposure of the criminal character of mm. the US in this region. Washington has supposedly waged a war on terrorism while allied to a Saudi regime that is the principal font of extremist Islamic ideology and the main paymaster for the various Islamist militias throughout the region. It has claimed to wage proxy war for regime change in Libya and Syria and in the name of human rights and democracy. Well, yeah, like, human rights and democracy. Yeah. While giving its unconditional backing to one of the world's last remaining absolute monarchies, famous for its beheadings, floggings and torture. But in the final analysis, of course, Washington counts on Saudi Arabia as a pillar for its drive to hegemony over the Middle East. And it only underscores the fact that US imperialism policies represents nothing so much as a house of cards about to collapse. And we are complicit in this. Now, I do believe, and maybe I'm, I'm being a little bit optimistic, but uh, I think I've thought for a while that I think the tide may be turning in the propaganda, the, the, you know, the, the, the media, the establishment media, how they view Saudi Arabia. There's starting to be more criticism of the Saudis. Well, it's, I found it extremely interesting that today's Herald Sun has an article mm-hmm. in the middle of the paper which yep. is repeating a lot of the material I've just given you. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. There. This will have an economic basis. This will have nothing to do with human <coughs> rights because these guys have been human rights <coughs> abusers for a long time. No, of course. There's, there's nothing oh, new zero. about this. No, no, no. And they were all allies, as you've been saying. But uh, I do think it might have a lot to do with the recent, um, not reproachment, but the recent deal made with the Iranians over nuclear weapons mm-hmm. and also with this driving down of the oil prices and the Saudis continuing to ramp up production, which is not making them many friends. No, no, no. So no. we have an economic basis and a strategic basis that if the West looks and says that maybe don't need the Saudis as much as they did, then they might turn against them. But it's interesting that you, you speak about uh, democracy and human rights. There's people who seriously... Uh, I have articles like, for instance, in yesterday's Edge, a comment by Timothy Lynch, uh, who teaches American foreign policy at the University of Melbourne, and he's got a serious article, supposedly serious article in there, saying that, for instance, Washington has spent $2 trillion and more than 4,000 American lives trying to make Iraq democratic. That's, that's a direct that's quote right, there. That's right. A little cartoon of Obama holding up a bone which says on it, human rights. Mm-hmm. So this ridiculous lie is still being pumped out there that the US and but the, the West know better. Are, he's, he's, a, he's a foreign policy expert. 
Yeah, that's right. What would well, the amateurs be saying? <laughs> you know, we, we, the West, is in there because we believe in human rights and democracy and are prepared to spend $2 trillion getting democracy into Iraq. Why would we be doing this? And like in Saudi Arabia, for example? Yeah. Like in Saudi Arabia? Yeah. The other thing about it, of course, is that ruling classes have always claimed that they are there because of their moral betterment. Mm. That is, that they, are, that they deserve they're extreme worst because they are morally superior oh. and that ruling class people are generally more dignified yes. dignified <laughs> yes. than you common hoi boy. Yes, than the <laughs> mere plebs like myself. But, but and we can learn from them. We can learn from yes. them. We can learn how to be dignified, smart, clever and, if we're lucky, rich. I think I know where you're going here. But uh, you might be amazed to hear of some of the cultural background to the ruling class in Britain. And um, we, we, there's, an article, there's an article being published which is uh, all about the Bullington, the Bullington Club, the Bulling Don Club, rather, which okay. is a, a class for ruling class people. Bullies. It, that's right, for, for ruling class people in England. Now, you say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. But the initiation ceremony of this class, of which the Prime Minister David Cameron is a member, and the Mayor of London, Boris, whatever his uh, name is. Boris Johnson. Boris yeah, Johnson. With a hair. Uh, mm. Were both members of, and they would have presumably participated in the initiation. And the initiation consists, amongst other things, of putting your private parts, uh, <laughs> or your knob, which, uh, this is for males, <laughs> please, please. you're putting your, <laughs> putting your knob into the mouth of a dead pig. Mm. Now, I'm sure yes. all the, most of the listeners would have done this in some... Oh, that's fair enough. There was a goat at my school. But... Uh, I'm sure most of you would have done that at some stage yeah, well, in your life. Um, Round the mill stuff. Cameron was at Oxford. Uh, he was a member of several, several secret societies of rich young men. And as I say, the most famous was the Bullingdon Club. The aim of the Bullingdon Club is ostensibly to dress up fancy with the chaps. Yeah. Get blind drunk at an expensive restaurant or private dining room and then smash the place up. And mm. I'm, I'm not being euphemistic. Mm. I mean smash the place up because, of course, they can afford to pay for the damages without doing a day's work. Mm. Amongst their known, well-known initiation rites, they are said to have burnt a £50 note in front of a homeless person. Mm. Um. Three prominent, prominent members of uh, Cameron's cabinet were members. Many others went on to run banks that crashed the economy in 2008 and the media empire that protects them. Maybe they were burning a few too many, £50 notes. Chancellor George Osborne and London uh, Mayor Bo Boris Johnson have all done this and they've also provided over a sharp spike in homelessness in Britain. Um, the MP who provided Ashcroft with the pig story about the initiation mm -hmm. ceremony said... Quote, the club was all about despising poor people. So if you despise poor people, I'd apply, uh, yeah, I'd apply for membership. <laughs> How much is the membership? <laughs> I don't, I, well, I think you wouldn't qualify. No. You're not even English. No. Um, the other point that's come out, of course, is that there's been allegations uh, made that during the Thatcher period, when mm. she was the British Prime Minister during the 1980s, no that she turned a blind eye to pedophiles mm. that she promoted, including providing knighthoods to well-known Syria child abusers like Jimmy Savile, Jimmy Savile and right. Cyril Smith. And Leon, Leon Britton, the now deceased Home Secretary in 
the Thatcher government is also being investigated for this. But how how hard are they going to be investigated? Well, it's not going to be a Seven Eleven investigation. I think it might it? be. In each case, Thatcher is now thought to have warned by security forces about these men, but it is alleged that she ignored it. Hmm. It's not out of the question that knowing they were child abusers, Thatcher could have political leverage over them. Hmm. <clears throat> so it's better to have a cabinet minister whom you know has been kitty fiddling, hmm. because you can always say, "Don't vote against me," otherwise, you know what can yep. happen. Many of the privately educated men who run the country really think that everybody else wants to be like them and that any criticism of the elites by people like us comes from envy. Mm-hmm. Well, I really am envy. of I don't have a pig to yeah. stick my... <laughs> don't have 50 quid to, to have some quid, burn. That's right. Or have 50 quid to get... The other thing about it is while we're on just peculiar things, the Pope's visiting America mm. and... Uh, uh, of course, he's going around saying lots of left-wing things. Is he? Well, yes. Like, look after, well, not really left-wing things, but left-wing things to the people in power. Yeah. That is, you're ruining the planet. Yeah. Climate change is essentially to use something about it. But uh, one judge, Andrew Napolitano, is more concerned not with what his actual pronouncements, but with the Pope's fiscal beliefs. And this is his words. The Pope is, by his own words, a Peronist. A what? A Peronist? A Peronist. As in, yeah, Juan Peron in Argentina. He's also probably a communist and oh. a Marxist. Oh dear, what? Who does believe that government ought to control and motivate the means of production and the means of distribution. Napolitano takes issues with the Pope's exhortations on economic issues and Catholic tradition when it comes to allowing marriage annulments and permitting priests to forgive abortion. Speeding up annulments is a rejection of his... Papal role, says Napolitano. He has assaulted matrimony. <clears throat> For him to make amendments easier, it's a backdoor towards permitting divorce. Well, perish the thought. Well, you know, the Pope is, of course, after the last few Popes, uh, well, we've got the last few hundred Popes, the Pope is on a huge propaganda mission to try and get back some of the flock. And that must be fairly obvious to even the blind person. Well, I think so. I mean, the last Pope, we were told he had to retire because he was sick. No, he didn't retire because he was sick. He was retired because he was being exposed as doing absolutely nothing about the whole pedophilia scandal. Yes, yes, and so yes. he had to be shoveled off, just as this crook uh, Withers has been shoveled off from 7-Eleven. And they bring in the new face. It's the new face. It's the same old establishment. Of Still course, the Catholic Church. Of course, it is. and words you know, are cheap. Words are Knowing cheap. Knowing for that you can say what you like to the U.S. Congress, they won't take any notes of you, and you'll get creds for being progressive and concerned about the ordinary people. He's getting um, the thumbs up, apparently, from Donald Trump. So, uh, I mean, how... Well, very, well, quite. Very progressive, quite, is he? Quite. And did he support the Argentinian, Argentinian military junta? Yes, he did. Yes, yes he, he did. did. Well, there you go. So, uh, you're quite right. It's co- a cosmetic change to the mm. Catholic Church. Nothing has essentially changed. All religions don't like women. Mm. Every religion you can find... Uh, scriptural basis for their dislike of women from the Christian church women should be seen and not heard by St Paul to the the Muslims covering them with heads to the Jewish prayer that says thank God I'm not a woman uh, not to mention uh, other if you go that's to, not a prayer women would be that? that's not a prayer for women I would assume uh, no, no 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 they can pray what they like but this is a this is a prayer which is uh, 
Thank God I'm not a boring woman. Now, this article <coughs> I've written from before, which was speaking about um, Vladimir Putin and Barack Obama and how Putin is really exposing Obama over in Syria. Now, Tony, there's it, it, actually some good stuff in it. It's Timothy Lynch, most of it is rubbish, but there's some good stuff in it. I just wanted to read some of it. Mm-hmm. Tony Abbott was derided in progressive circles for calling IS a death cult. But Vladimir Putin's similar analysis has actually increased his leverage at home and abroad. Fighting Islamists has legitimacy in the Russian polity that it has never enjoyed in the liberal West, despite IS's desire to assault everything the liberal West holds dear, from gay rights to gender equality. Because Vladimir Putin has an apparent plan to destroy this cult that so outrages the majority of Muslims, as well as just the majority of the world, and quite rightly too, mm. his realism is winning the supporters on the Persian and the Arab streets, whereas Obama is not. I think there's a fair bit of truth in that. The thing is with IS is that, okay, we're against the capitalist West, they're against the capitalist West, but they're against the good things about the West. We're against the bad things. Yes. This is the major difference. I think this guy, so it's a pretty much rubbish article by Timothy Lynch, and I've seen it, the, the West is in there fighting for democracy and for human rights. But he, there's a, one paragraph there, but I think he actually gets things right. Yes, yes. Well, Did you see about what? these 13 people being killed in uh, a school in Oregon, Chris? Well, another, another mass shooting in America. And that, yeah, you know, but it's very unusual. As many as 13 people were killed and 20 injured yesterday when a lone 20-year-old gunman opened fire in a classroom at a community uh, college in Oregon. Douglas County Sheriff John Hanlon said, quote, it is a peaceful community. Certainly this is a huge shock to the entire community to have this level of crime. Now, this is a terrible tragedy, and we shouldn't be cynical about it, but to suggest that it's unusual for this to happen in the U.S., and especially in a U.S. school, isn't true. Just this year, there have been 45 shootings in U.S. schools. That's roughly one every six days. Right. This is, this, this is a systemic problem. This has almost become a national sport in the U.S. Every six days is a shooting Look, in a it's, school. It's, it's one sign of the, the advanced decay of... American capitalism and of capitalism worldwide. It, and every time it happens, it's pretends to morality. It's pretends to morality. It's pretends to fairness is a lie. And as you say, the the shootings every six day. I mm. mean, and uh, the gun lobby's responsible as well. Well, if all the kids had been armed, mm. they wouldn't have had that problem. Can you imagine that? Where you've got uh, two hundred kids with guns pulling out their guns and shooting. I mean. The answer to guns is more guns. More guns. But, exactly. I mean, to suggest that it's uh, unusual and it's not systemic is just blind Freddy stuff. Yes, it's ridiculous. It is, it is. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.